Oh, it's good to see you this morning. Just a couple of announcements that I'd like to make. Uh, the first is, who got too full on Thursday? I'm sure more of you than what <laughs> raised your hand got too full on Thursday. No, but seriously, uh, first question I'd like to uh, let you know is that we do still have, I'm back there um, at the welcome desk, is uh, some Advent calendars uh, for you to use as a family if you'd like to do and take advantage of that as we go through Advent. This is the first Sunday of Advent, so you still have opportunity to grab one of those and begin that tradition with your family this year. The second thing that I'd like to uh, bring to your attention is that our, our children's Christmas store um, will be happening uh, in just uh, about a week and a half. And uh, if you'd like to donate presents to the Christmas store so that they can uh, have opportunity to buy presents and get presents for their siblings and, and other things like that, you need to have those gifts in by next Sunday, okay? So if you would be sure to have those in by next Sunday, you can drop them by the church office anytime this week, but have your Christmas store gifts in for the children by next Sunday. All right, so glad to see you here. Let's all stand together as we worship our Savior. My soul will wait for you.
to the screen. Hope. Hope is more than optimism or positivity. Hope is choosing to wait for God to bring His goodness into our lives. Hope is remembering God's faithfulness in the past and trusting in His plans for the future. This is when the light shatters the darkness. This is when the Word makes His home with us. This is an invitation for all people. here. This is Christmas. 
pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we, like the prophets of old, uh, place our hope in your character as it is portrayed in your holy word and validated by your grace and mercy in delivering the Messiah, our Savior, as you promised to do. We now await his promised return and the glories that we'll receive and enjoy when that happens. We give thanks for the joy and peace that sustain us in this broken and evil world and for the love that is never ending and from which nothing can separate us. As the Advent season progresses here at Westgate, uh, we bless, praise, and worship you as we draw ever nearer to you in gratitude, humility, and the anticipation of your making all things new. We rejoice in the manger, in the cross, in the open tomb, and in the expectation of a new creation where there'll be no more tears, no more sin, and no more death. And now, may the God of hope fill us all with joy and peace and believing that we all might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior's name. Amen. Tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart every Sweetest that ever was heard.
Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for retreat from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus
your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Oh, dear God, the treasure you gave us when you came as a babe in a manger. And you lived a perfect life, you died a sinless death, and you rose again so that we could have eternal life. What a gift. May we not be ashamed or afraid to tell the world about that that treasure you've provided for us. Now as your word is preached and proclaimed, gift and the treasure of your word, we listen to it. May we respond in complete obedience to what you're calling us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. You may be Well, following up on that song that we just sang, we have an opportunity to share the treasured gift that God has given us in a couple of weeks on December the 11th, tentatively scheduled. At four in the afternoon, we'll be going out into the neighborhood down in the Avenues area to help out our Hispanic church and one of our black churches to communicate the opportunity for the neighbors around them to be a part of one of their churches. And we'll also be giving out a copy of the Innkeeper's Journal in Spanish since so many in that area speak Spanish. We need teams of about uh, teams of two, and we need about 30 teams to join us. So if you would be interested in doing that, you can fill out a communication card and just say, sign me up December 11th at four in the afternoon. I hope you'll be a part of that. Uh, we have a lot of celebrities in our congregation, as you know, each and every week. You look around and you can tell, right? Well, Beaumont Enterprise delivered the best of the best uh, two weeks ago in their Sunday's edition, and we had one blue ribbon and four finalists. I wanted to recognize them here today. Volunteer of the Year, best of the best, Megan Moss. All right, over here. Stand up for just a moment, Megan, so we, whenever we need help with anything, we'll know where to go. Volunteer of, of the Year. Police Officer Finalist, Keith Varnado. Keith, are you here? You have to be sure and let him know about that. Grocery Store Finalist, Market Basket. Jim, Tom, either one of you guys here? Well, those of you that shop at Market Basket can let those guys know. Uh, family practice, Christus Adult Medicine, Burt Brown. There we go. Great. Good job. <laughs> and loan officer finalist, Zach Stiles, who is lending money even today right over here. So, Congratulations to you all you guys and all the rest of you. You are truly the best of the best. I am honored to be a part of this congregation. Well, isn't it amazing that life requires so much endurance? You have an experience even from this last week, this last month, and this last year, an experience that reminded you that life requires so much endurance. And, and James was talking about that in, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, and we'll read it together this need for endurance and resilience in life. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, 
Be patient. Stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. God, we pray that you would bless not only the reading of your word, but the teaching of it. We never presume upon your presence, yet we always know that you are right where your word is. Your word never returns void, and so we pray even now that you would speak to us individually. Lord, if our heart needs to be awakened by your spirit, we pray for that. It could be that repentance is standing and knocking at the door for us to make a change. It could be that you're take, wanting to take us to a completely different level of relationship with you, ministry that you're calling us to. Lord, it could be that just patience is something that is lacking in our lives and you want to prune us just as we have read in your word. So we pray now that you would speak to us through this chapter of your Bible. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about a template for endurance as we continue in this series, and we'll take a pause uh, throughout the month of December as we consider our Christmas messages, but a template for endurance. And this is probably a, a great thing to be thinking about as we head into the Christmas season. If we want to endure, to have that endurance, as James is telling us, we must first of all plant patience in our lives. Look back at verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Speaking to those who follow after Jesus Christ, he is saying in response to what we have seen previously, that the world is unjust and you are treated unjustly regularly, you must then be patient. James is all about maturity. Every chapter offers us an opportunity to grow and to stretch and to mature as followers of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, we have that definition of maturity. Maturity is to know the right thing to do and then to do it. It requires training, as a writer would say. So if we want patience in our lives, if we want it to flourish in our lives, we must plant it. It doesn't just automatically happen. How many of you have corn growing in your backyard? If you want corn to grow in your backyard, what much you do? Plant corn, right? You can't just put more water out there or more fertilizer. If you want corn, you've got to plant corn. If we want patience, we must plant patience. And that's what James is talking about here. This word that's used is to be long-tempered, to be long in the nostrils. We have an uh, inside joke in our family about blowing up balloons. Whenever there's high stress, we've had particular members of our family that do this. <sighs> they could blow up a whole room of balloons just by all of that it's kind of that thought. It's just sitting back when things feel, feel so stressful and disorienting and wrong, and you just go, that's the patience that he is talking about, to have that endurance. It's trusting God for the things that we can't control. Every one of us right now could raise our hand to say, there's something in my life that I can't control that I wish that I could 
And to have patience in that area is extremely difficult. Can't control it. We sit in the passenger seat. God is in the driver's seat. You ever notice how different tailgating looks from the passenger seat and the driver's seat? I mean, there's only about three feet of difference, maybe even two. But when you're driving and your wife is sitting in the passenger seat, you're perpetually tailgating. But when you're sitting in the passenger seat and she's driving, tailgate never occurs. Even though you're punching the floor to slow down the car. It's so different from the perspectives in which we sit. And we have to ride in the passenger seat and trust God for what we cannot control. Notice the passage of Scripture says, be patient until the Lord's coming. The Lord's return is pivotal for us growing in our patience, for having patience in our lives. It's referenced over 300 times in the New Testament. Virtually every 13 verses, if you were to average it out, our hope is eschatological, and that sounds kind of like a bunch of theological jargon, but it, it means that our hope is out in the future. Things will not be perfect until Christ returns or we join him in heaven. And until that time, we must grow in our patience, and that means we must plant our patience, and we must also cultivate our patience. Look at verses 7 and following. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Another reference. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged, for the judge is standing at the door. What a great example of watching the farmer. The farmer has to wait and exercise patience because the rain falls on the just and the unjust, as Jesus would say in Matthew 5, verse 45, the half-brother of James. It means here literally to have the ability to live in tranquility. Right now, amazing technology is taking place as Artemis 1 is orbiting the, the moon, lifted off November the 16th as we head back to plant a man on the moon once again. And on, interesting enough, on Artemis I is a, a stuffed figure of Snoopy, as Charles Schultz had his 100th anniversary of his birthday yesterday. It'll splash down on December the 11th, the day of our musical Light of the World. And do you remember the last time that man landed on the moon? Do you remember the first time man landed on the moon? And it was called the Sea of tranquility. Wasn't much to be tranquil about in the moment as they were descending down upon the moon for the first time in human history. Unbeknownst to the astronauts, because of a vapor lock that had extended and pushed their capsule four miles beyond where they were supposed to land. Neil Armstrong didn't recognize that until they were just about a hundred feet above the moon's surface. And he saw boulders the sizes of cars and huge craters. They were off target. And he had to manually take control. And he landed with just 20 seconds of fuel. And then they radioed back. Sea of tranquility. The eagle has landed. That's how our life feels sometimes, doesn't it? This wasn't what we planned. This doesn't look right. We don't have enough fuel. 
but in the midst of that, we can live with the ability to be tranquil in the midst of the chaos around us. What he's talking about here is that temptation that we all have to give up or maybe to seek revenge when we have been treated unjustly. The Williams version of this, the Williams translation of this passage says, to put iron into your hearts. It's that unbending resolve to not give up. Our heart is the innermost being. And to have this patience inside of us that gives us the endurance that we will not bend. We're living in a time when we understand about quitting, don't we? 2021, we had the great resignation which so many people walked away from their jobs, and that was followed by the quiet resignation in which many people kept their jobs, but they just started doing the very bare minimum. Gallup tells us that half of the American workforce is now quietly resigned, doing just the bare minimums. It's tempting to give up, isn't it? When life gets tough, and that's why James says, look at the farmer. He's patiently waiting for those rains to come in. He had to prepare the soil, and he only had that one chance in the autumn rains. Great agricultural word picture here for us. You see, in, in Israel, virtually five months out of the year, they were in drought. And so they depended upon the autumn rains to soften the ground where they could then make the planting of the seed and then it would give time for that seed to germinate and then it would be dry. Then they wait for the spring rains to come to mature and develop the harvest so that they would have crops. Five months of virtual drought, having to wait and weed and wonder if anything is going to come up and and James says, our faith is much like that planted seed. I love the story of the, the little kid who went to see his grandparents, and his grandmother invited him to go out into the garden to dig up the potatoes. They were harvesting potatoes, and we all know the potatoes grow beneath the ground. And as they were digging up these potatoes, he turned to his grandmother and said, why in the world did you put and bury all of these potatoes in the ground? You know, you can't just keep digging it up to see if it's growing. You have to trust. And that's what James is talking about, that our faith is much like that seed. It's planted in patience, and then we weed it, and we wait to see what God is going to do. We mustn't let adversity dim or distract our focus on Christ's return. And that's what James is saying. Adversity does. Now, the first thing is, when we have adverse situations in our life, the first thing is, says, Lord, come back. I'm ready for heaven right now. And then as time goes on, we still use that mantra, but we want things to get better. And if we're not careful, that begins to facilitate grumbling and complaining and all types of discord. We can't let adversity dim or distract our focus on the fact that Christ is going to come again and make all things perfect, but it won't be perfect until then. How does the Lord's return, as James talks about here, how does, how does that encourage us? Well, I thought of an analogy maybe that will work for us. Many of you have a ring doorbell, and you know that you can see people right in front of your door, good and bad. Now, let's suppose that in the middle of the night, all of a sudden, you see that flash from your phone go off, and it gives you a notification that someone is standing at your front door. You know it's not FedEx. 
and you began to look through and you see that the person there is obviously a perpetrator, disguised, carrying equipment to break into your house. And you immediately begin to panic as adversity sets in. You reach for your phone and you dial 911 and then you wait. And then all of a sudden in the distance you hear the sirens beginning to gain, getting stronger and stronger. And when you hear that siren, what do you do? You have hope because you know that help is coming. And that's what James is talking about, is having that same kind of hope. Scripture is our siren to let us know that Christ is coming. When we sit in the silence of our adversity, we can turn to God's word and be reminded that Christ is coming and he's going to make all things right. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. As noted a minute ago, one of the first things that adversity does to us is it, it produces grumbling. Oftentimes grumbling against God first and then grumbling against others because others have it better than we have it. And God should have made a difference. We tend to be like Mary and Martha in John chapter 11 after Lazarus had died. Both of them came to Jesus as he, as he was approaching and they had the exact same statement. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Have you ever said that to God? If you had been here, this would not have happened. But Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. This will happen. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. It's a matter of trusting God rather than complaining, because what happens when we complain, we short-circuit the process of patience taking root in our lives. It's a process of getting patience. Have you ever prayed for patience and said, God, would you give it to me right now? We all have. As we were going through this study several weeks ago in preparation, I was just thinking about this whole idea of patience. And I was amazed at how many things required patience over the next few weeks. It just seemed like everything was moving in slow motion. If it could slow me down, it happened. Patience. It's a matter of trusting God to, be, to build up that patience inside of us, that fruit of the Spirit that reveals that God is inside of us. And not to be bitter towards other people. It is very easy for hurt people to hurt people, right? To take it out on other people when things are not going well in our life. And rather than seeking revenge, because as James is talking about, he's talking about people previously that were treating these people unjustly. And he said, don't seek revenge. Seek redemption. Seek repentance in their lives. Swindoll calls it the 50-20 principle, referencing to Genesis 50-20 of what Joseph did when his brothers found out who he was and they realized how deep in the weeds they were because of who he was and what they had done. And do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers? You meant it for evil. And he probably dug it in. You meant it for a lot of evil. When you threw me into the cistern, you meant it for evil. But God used it for good. For us to look at the adversity in our life and to say, it feels very evil, but God, I trust you that you will use it for good. We understand this whole concept of the judge standing at the door. We have a brand new Miranda warning in the 21st century. 
anything you do may or will be filmed against you. That's the world in which we live. No matter what we do, someone is potentially going to film it and hold it against us. To be reminded that the judge is standing at the door and he is filming. Long before we entered this modern age of technology, I remember being in my fifth grade class when Mrs. Jasper went to the office. She was gone for a couple of minutes, and we all sat in silence because she had warned us not to do anything disruptive, not to talk, not to get out of our seats, to be quiet, peaceful, respectful. And you know how it works in fifth grade. After about two minutes, that one kid, he starts popping up, taking over, then another kid, another kid. All of a sudden, total pandemonium is taking place in our fifth grade class. She's gone. We can do whatever we want. And all of a sudden, from the intercom on the wall, she begins to call out names and say she's on her way back. And the room got quiet. We know that the judge is standing at the door, and that's Jesus. And he's going to hold us accountable for what we do. Even our lack of patience in the midst of adversity. So we must cultivate patience in our lives. Not just plant it. I tell you what, I'm a great gardener at planting seed. And I'm done. But you know that doesn't work. Patience must be planted in our lives through the invitation of God to say, God, would you make me, would you manifest that fruit of the spirit of patience in me? And then to cultivate it, weeding, doing the necessary steps. A template for endurance is to have patience that we plant, that we, we plant by God to put it into our lives, we cultivate it. And then we observe patience in others, and that's what James is talking about. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, which we all can relate to. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Isn't that true? Those, those people that have stood up under the load, that's what this verse literally means, to stay under the load, not to, to get out, not to bail, but to stay under the load. Don't we respect people that do that? Those people that can soldier on even in the midst of adversity. You've heard of Job's perseverance. I've seen what the Lord finally brought about, the outcome. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What, what a relevant word for us today. We live in the YouTube era in which everything is to be videoed. Every single day in the world, People watch over a billion hours of video on YouTube. We watch for examples and demonstrations of how to do things. And James is saying, watch and observe the patience in others. He referred back to the prophets. The prophets were referred a dozen times in the New Testament about the persecution that they endured. And the people would look back in awe of what the prophets endured for the sake of the kingdom. And we find it in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 and following. There were others who were tortured, and we've had this great hall, roll call of the faithful in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 11. People who were victorious, and then he turns a corner and says there were others who were tortured. 
refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. What James is saying is, look back. Look back at those that you esteem, the prophets that endured under persecution, and the prize that they have. Then he referenced Job. You think about Job. Job not only had a very difficult situation, he had some marital issues as well. Do you remember what happened after all of his adversity? His wife said in Job chapter 2, verse 9, curse God and die. Just kill yourself. Get it over with. But then Job would come back later and say in Job 13, verse 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. And because of that, don't miss this, as James references back, because he didn't curse God, but because he trusted in God instead. He was able to say in Job 42, verse 5, I've heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And his relationship took on brand new meaning. It's so easy for us to get frustrated at our own life. And friends, I got to tell you, just do not isolate yourself. When we isolate ourselves, we become very self-absorbed and we become very critical of the world around us. We need one another in this community of faith. And I will tell you today, I need you. Don't think that I just stand up here and speak. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We need to be able to observe patience in one another as we go through the adversities of life. Don't hide from adversity. This is not a museum. This is a hospital in which we come for care. And we need to come collectively and transparently willing to shoulder the burden with one another. Not become bitter about our situation. I'll tell you a story about a ticket agent who inadvertently oversold a Women of Faith conference in Sacramento, California a number of years ago. Made such a mistake that they had to take out all of the chairs on the main floor and replace them with smaller, more uncomfortable plastic chairs. They called all of the participants ahead of time and profusely apologized that all of the chairs had to be replaced with smaller, more uncomfortable ones. But that didn't help. On the day of the Conference of Women of Faith, the frustrated attendees showed up, and they complained about how uncomfortable the chairs were. Realizing the problem needed to be addressed from the platform, they suggested that the next speaker come out and apologize on behalf of the organizers for the change that made things so uncomfortable. So the next speaker, Johnny Erickson Tata, rolled out in her wheelchair as a quadriplegic. And she said, I understand some of you are not sitting in the chairs you expected to be sitting in tonight. Well, neither am I. And I've been in mine for more than 30 years. She paused, softly added, I have at least a thousand friends who would give anything to be sitting in the chair you are in, if only for tonight. Obviously, all of the complaints were obliterated. As everyone recognized, we have far more to celebrate than we realize. 
Complaining is a habit worth breaking. And if we're complainers about the adversity of life, feeling like somehow life should be perfect, fine, at least a nine most of the time, remember what Paul would write about in Romans 8, 18. He said the sufferings that we have now, they're nothing in comparison to the glory that we will experience with Christ. So endure. If we want to have, if we want to have patience to build up, the, build up endurance, we've got to plan it. We've got to cultivate it. We need to observe it in other people. And we need to practice patience ourselves. Verse 12 says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. And when he says above all, that's basically a, a statement of saying inclusion. One of the, one of the most uh, dangerous words you'll ever hear, most frightening words you'll ever hear, one of the most, some of the most untruthful words you'll ever hear is a, a preacher say, now in conclusion. That's basically what James was saying. Now in conclusion, above all, do not swear. It's not talking about profanity. None of us should use profanity. That's just the bottom line. None of us should. I don't care how mad you are. Be intelligent enough to find a better word. It's not about profanity. It's about trust, about trusting in God. Because what he's talking about here is people would, would use stronger ways of affirming that they're telling the truth. Cross my heart, hope to die. All those different things that we have. And it's about image management. To say, I want you to think the very best of me. So I will use excuses, or I will give you endless details, or I will over-spiritualize the situation so that you will think better of me. And what James is saying is you simply trust God. You trust God with the silence, just as Jesus did when you were unjustly treated. It's not to say that you become passive. But too many times we try to overcompensate. George MacDonald, a famed preacher and author, wrote to his father almost 100 and 45 years ago, I always try, I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many lies. We all do. And sometimes we try to cover that up with stronger language. But notice what Jesus did, especially as you're reading through the Bible. Today's reading talks about Jesus and the example of trust. As he was on trial before Pilate and he chose the posture of not defending himself. He knew exactly what we should know that in Isaiah 49, 16, God has said, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. On the palms, not just one, not just on the back, but on the very palms of God's hands, your name is engraved. You can trust him. We are most like God when we are patient. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, God is patient, not wanting any to perish. You remember how the book began in James 1, 12? He said that if we have perseverance, we will obtain what? As followers of Christ, the crown of life. And this is not easy, lest you think that what I have communicated here is easily done in any of our lives. If it's easy for you, you're the one that needs to be up here talking now. It's tough. One of the passages of Scripture that we read this last week is one I think you probably might want to write down. Jehoshaphat was facing unsurmountable odds. The king of Judah going against invading armies, looked to be there's no way that they could win. He didn't know what to do except seek the Lord. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, he would say, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Little rhyme, but it's scripture. We don't know what to do in the midst of this adversity. We don't know what to do in the midst of all that is bearing upon us, but we do know this. Our eyes are upon you. Let's put our eyes upon the Lord now as we prepare for this Lord's Supper and to be reminded that the greatest need of anybody's life is to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God loves you. We're going to talk about that in just a moment in such a neat way as we observe the Lord's Supper. God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. Don't take that lightly. Don't just say that's just preacher talk. That is the greatest gift that humanity has ever received. But because of our sin, it's a gift that we cannot embrace on our own. Only Jesus Christ can make us right with God. And if we humbly repent of our sins, meaning that we say to Jesus, I want you more than I want my sins, and we completely surrender our life to him with palms up, he will become the Lord and Savior, the rescuer of our life. If you've never done that, I would invite you to join me in this prayer. And for those of you that are followers of Christ, might you just begin now to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Anything that God has spoken to you throughout this time of worship, you just bring that to him. Lord, we, we are thankful for your word that speaks so relevantly to us thousands of years after it was penned. Reminds us it truly is your word. It has power beyond our understanding. We've been reminded that we can have the capacity to endure through the patience that comes through Christ. Not through greater self-will, but allowing you, O oh Lord, to plant your patience in our lives through Christ, who must be our Savior, our Redeemer, and Lord. And if anybody in this room has never received you, I pray that today they would voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, give us greater capacity to surrender our lives to you, to trust you, rather than trying to always fill in the air with the sound of our voice, defending ourselves or explaining it or trying to justify or trying to make it different. God, to look at the examples of your word, especially our Savior Christ, who trusted you, remained silent, and endured the cross for the glory that was set before him. Please give us that capacity, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're about to observe the Lord's Supper together, and I'm going to invite our deacons to go ahead and make their way down here. And you will notice a, a new element in our Lord's Supper observance today is this table. Such rich, his, rich history. Deacons, you just come on down and begin the process. But I wanted to tell you just a little bit about this table. This table was on a scrap heap. I guess it served its time. Maybe the church doors had closed. It had served generations, but it was ready for the trash. Wayne Smith. Wayne, raise your hand back here. Wayne went out and he bought this table. He redeemed it. And it was a mess. And by hand sanding, spending over 100 hours of sanding and refinishing and bringing it to the beauty that you see today, it reminds us of what Christ can do in our lives.
The rest of the world is ready to throw us to the side. Jesus will come in, put his hands upon us, refine us, redeem us, repurpose us, and give us new life. I think about all the people that have observed the Lord's Supper at some point in history from this table. Today we join them. And as these elements are passed out, we invite all of you that are followers of Jesus Christ that have been baptized as a demonstration of your faith and you're living in repentance. There's no sin that you are, uh, you are withholding and standing in, in defiance of God. If you're ready for that, then you can receive these elements with us. You guys, you go ahead and pass them out. Help each other out as we receive these elements. And I want to read to you just as you think about this table here, passage of scripture that we find in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's what James is talking about. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.
meant if you would lead us in prayer. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to uh, continue uh, the commands of Christ. Um, he told us to remember this time the, of the death, burial, and resurrection of, of your Son, our Savior. And Father, we pray that you're pleased that the church, this 2,000 years later, still remembers this and uh, reflects on the sacrifice of the second person of the Trinity, the, the carpenter's son, uh, the prophet, the teacher, our Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for sending him. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for for your witness of obedience even to the point of death on the cross and Father thank you for your spirit that stirs in our hearts to continue what your son has commanded us to do we thank you for all this in the name of Jesus amen If you would allow me to say just one more statement about just the, the awareness that I have of so many Christians living in isolation and the destructive nature that has on them and those surrounding them. The Lord's Supper reminds us that after, after the Lord had instituted the Lord's Supper, Judas went into isolation to his own demise. Peter went into isolation and betrayed his Lord, denied his Lord. Isolation is never good. And that's why we come together to observe the Lord's Supper together in community, to be reminded that we are loved. John 15, 9, think of this, because some of us need to embrace this. You feel as if you're standing on the outside. Listen to what Jesus said. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Imagine the depth of how the heavenly Father loves the Son. And Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. He goes on to say when he's praying in John 17, verse 26, the love you have for me to the Father, may the love you have for me be in them and that my, I myself may be in them. That's why Jesus would say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Wayne, thank you for this gift because those letters remind us of those words of Christ. But this is a new covenant in his blood. Drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. Love y'all. Thanks for listening and thanks for being here to worship collectively as a body. Warren is just going to sing briefly as we stand and we'll begin to make our way out. But if you have any kind of commitment or decision or desire for prayer, I'll be standing over the crosses. But we'll just sing briefly. And then we'll just begin to, to move out quietly. But thank you for being here for this experience of worship. Let's stand together. Say
Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great day.